This podcast series is called The Man Who Wasn't There. It's being recorded from mid-September 2021, and it describes events that began in early 2009, but are continuing even as we tell this story. It began on Australia Day 2009, down on the Derwent River in Hobart, Tasmania. It was a beautiful holiday day, sunny and warm. Winds blew late in the afternoon, and when they did, the various yachts that were moored on the river would be turned around on their moorings so that their sterns and any dinghies that they had would face towards the shore. It being a holiday, people were out and about, not only on the water, but also along the shoreline, jogging, walking, picnicking. Dover, in the casino, people were enjoying themselves and occasionally looking down on the water. One of the yachts that people on the water and at the casino might have seen was a recent arrival called the Four Winds. It had been sailed down from Queensland by its new owners, Bob Chappell and Sue Neil Fraser. They were preparing it for an overseas cruise, a dream that they'd had for quite a while. And in order to prepare it, they spent a lot of time on their new yacht, including on Australia Day. That afternoon, Sue had left Bob working on the yacht and she'd taken the dinghy and returned to the shore where she'd tied the dinghy up near the clubhouse. The Four Winds dinghy was a quicksilver zodiac with blue and white trim and a fitted outboard motor. It was in tip-top condition. For those with out-accumulated wealth and not much else to do on a late summer's afternoon on a holiday, a bit of quiet yacht break-in seemed like a profitable way to spend the time. After all, consider the advantages of this kind of pilfering. First of all, One has access to a place that is empty. Secondly, you can readily find out that it's empty by observing the lack of any dinghy or any other kind of tender alongside the yacht. What's more, you're assured of some easy-to-remove pickings, such as good quality grog, clothing and fishing gear, and... um, resaleable boat equipment. And does it matter if you're seen on the yacht? Anybody passing by will think that you're simply people who are having a good time, relaxing on the yacht or preparing to take it on a trip somewhere. It makes sense too on a holiday afternoon to choose one of the boats that is furthest out from the shore. As for getting there, that's no trouble either. 
simply take someone's nondescript, somewhat worn, grey dinghy, a battleship grey is absolutely ideal, take it out, you and your colleagues, and then climb aboard. And once you've got there, pick up the things that are readily movable, saleable, usable, put them back in the dinghy, and make your way back to shore. So that's exactly what we did. Uh, we'd sussed out the four winds a couple of weeks before, just to check that a later visit would be worthwhile. On that occasion, we'd found that the hatches were firmly fastened, but we didn't think that would take us too long to get past. And so it was on that wonderful afternoon that we took that battleship Grey Dinghy, we took it out to the Four Winds, we tied it to the, to the yacht, we climbed aboard, and then one of us, a girl, stayed up on top as a lookout, while the, West, while the we others went down into the cabin, which, luckily, stupidly, had been left open. And having got down into the cabin, we opened the lockers and began to rummage around to see what we could find. And it was then that the stupid bastard came up behind us. And he was stupid. If he hadn't been stupid, none of what happened thereafter would have happened, and I'd not have had this tale to tell you. At any rate, now a dozen years later, I'm no longer sure I have any true idea of what really happened. But I do remember that he fell. I do remember that he fell on his head. I do remember that he didn't move again. And look up on top, there was nothing nearby. I checked his pulse, there wasn't anything. I turned him over, he wasn't moving, and he wasn't going to move again. So we pulled him up topside, looked around, and dropped him on the side furthest away from where anybody could see. And I leaned over the edge and watched him as he sank into the depths of the Green Derwent River. I wasn't about to leave evidence of how we got there, what we'd done and what had happened, but oh Christ, how that girl blubbered. And then she chundered on the deck, spewed all over the place, back down into the cockpit, back into the end of the boat, and I opened every valve I could find. I just hoped that this yacht would sink at the moorings at least for long enough that any evidence of our having been there would uh, be destroyed by all the water. Doing that took very little time. And when I put my head back up on the deck again, I could see that the girl was shivering. Shivering as though she had a fever. So I grabbed a jacket, a red jacket, that was lying around inside, told her to put it over her shoulders. Then we took the few things that we'd had time to gather up, put ourselves and those in the dinghy, and carefully took ourselves back to shore, doing our best to look entirely 
an unremarkable part of a holiday afternoon. When we got back to shore, she put the jacket on the fence and I went around to the clubhouse and found the dinghy to the four winds tied up there. I set it adrift, pushing it as far out as I could so that it would catch the tide and float wherever. Believe me when I say that we went there that afternoon to lift a few items. We didn't go there to kill an old bloke. We didn't go there to harm anybody. But, you know, a dozen years later, you don't need to believe me. As the best homicide cops and the top cops, they've always said, and they're still saying, that I wasn't there. They've been saying, as early as three or four days after Bob died, that Sue did it, that somehow she came out of the ether, did him in, put his body in the dinghy, took it out and threw it over the side. That's not what happened. The man who wasn't there was there. And I'm going to tell you all about it.